This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. All right, so we are in a series that we have called Elements, and we are talking about the Holy Spirit, and we have these three elements, uh, rain, fire, and wind, that are representative of the Holy Spirit, metaphors in the Scripture, helping us to understand who the Holy Spirit is. That's one of the things we're emphasizing in this series, that the Holy Spirit is a he, he's not an it, he's a part of the Trinity, and we've talked a lot about uh, a bunch of things already leading up to today. We've talked about um, that he is our helper, we've talked about that God pours his love into us by the Spirit, we talked about fire, what that represents in the scripture, and then last week we talked partially, we got started talking about gifts, and we're going to continue on Um, with that today. And as I mentioned last week, we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I left three of those gifts till today just to focus on um, this idea of Holy Spirit energized speech or language, that God wants to use your mouth um, by His Spirit to be energized, to, to speak words according to His will, to say some things to Him and to say some things to other people. That God, by His Spirit, and as we're describing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, He is the personal presence of God with us. He is the personal presence of God on the earth. God is with us by His Spirit. Jesus, um, he, he referenced the Holy Spirit coming, say, it's, it's better, he said to the disciples, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit. Because Jesus was limited to being at one place and at one time. And when he sends his Spirit, he is with all of us all of the time. So we're going to uh, understand some of these terms today. We're going to look at prophecy. We're going to look at diversity of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and find out and try to understand what these things are. Now, as I've said to you uh, previously in this series, I have a very uh, diverse uh, background as it relates to Christian circles being uh, growing up the majority of my life in um, mainline denominational circles. My parents have a Pentecostal background. They both went to Pentecostal Bible school. And even though we went, we were in a mainline church every year, a couple times a year, we would go to Pentecostal camp. And I don't know if you've ever been to Pentecostal camp, but generally at a Pentecostal camp, they have a prayer room. And what's going on in the prayer room is they're probably praying in other tongues. And so you're either, you're excited to go in there or you're scared to go in there. One of the two, or you're confused about the whole thing. What is that all about and what does it mean and what is the purpose of it? And, um, you know, so as we talk about these things today, maybe if you do have a, a Pentecostal charismatic background, we can inspire you once again or understand some things once again. Or maybe if you are from a different background, maybe you can understand some things for the very first time. And uh, see some things in the scripture because I I know, once again, growing up in sort of mainline church, this was kind of a subject that was avoided. Um, And then maybe only only the crazy Christians really believed in this stuff. And we're not sure about it and it's so confusing and I don't get it. And so we can look at the scripture. And as I said from the very beginning, uh, we're not just going to take somebody's experience. that We're actually going to go to the word of God and get some understanding from the word of God. And there's understanding from the word of God on this um, topic as well. And me just, uh, you know, personally growing up, once again, because of my, uh, because of my background, I've, I've been on a journey with this subject, understanding it, re-understanding it, um, probably heard 
tons, hundreds of sermons along these lines, subjects along these lines. And um, as I was saying to my wife the other day, I felt like for me, I just had to go back to the scripture. I, I had so many uh, things in my head about this subject. And, um, and I just, I would go back and I would listen to these three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. And I would read them over and over again to try to understand what Paul was talking about. And, and what he was emphasizing and what he was trying to um, actually correct a little bit. And, and just to go through these things. Um, I don't know. Once again, if you haven't grown up in church, you might not understand this. But, you know, there's so many things in your background that you're trying to figure out. And then as you think about certain things, you're like, you get confused. And then you just need to go back to the Word of God. And then God's Word always alleviates that confusion. There's always answers for questions. And uh, thank God for the Word of God. So part of what we want to talk about today is that God actually wants to use you. He wants your language to be inspired by the Spirit. He wants your words to be inspired by the Spirit of God. And that we could speak the mind of God, that we can pray or we can speak actually to others. That God can actually use you, no credentials of any kind, to actually speak his word to somebody else, to actually uh, prophesy, which we're going to look at and try to understand today as well. Um, that God wants to use you um, to, to be a blessing to other people by using your words. So... Once again, back to, to a little bit of understanding, you know, if you did grow up in a Pentecostal charismatic environment, you know, the, the term spirit-filled was used a lot, and generally spirit-filled meant in those contexts, it meant specifically speaking in other tongues. And that if you, um, and this was your litmus test, it was my litmus test for all things, um, people in the church, that we would, we would always ask the question, well, are they, are they spirit-filled, meaning do they pray in other tongues? And as I once again, grew and look in the scriptures and understood the things that the scripture does include that, but the scripture does actually include a lot of other things as it relates to being spirit-filled, namely, as I've tried to emphasize so far in this series, is love. That, for me, the greatest evidence of a spirit-filled life, as, and I can give you lots of scriptural references, is love. That God is pouring out by his spirit on the inside of us. So this, uh, one of the first evidences that we could see is living a life of love. And then also back to the scripture, we see um, being filled with the spirit means that you would sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. That they, they preached the word of God with boldness after they were filled with the spirit. One time the scripture says Paul was filled with the spirit and then he rebuked somebody. And then so we have all of these different um, understandings, not just one understanding, not just one definition of what it might mean to be spirit-filled. And, you know, if you grew up in this environment, you know, you, maybe not everybody but me, I, you kind of um, think that you were the best Christians because you were the spirit-filled ones and nobody else in the body of Christ actually had the spirit. Nobody else in the body of Christ actually believed in the Holy Spirit, trusted in the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit. And so we, you know, we kind of know that God loved everybody in the church, but we were the kind of 1A Christian. Do you know what I'm saying? We were at the top of the list. God loved us the most because we were spirit-filled. We prayed in other tongues. And then so God just was, just, he just loved us extra. And we were the best. And we knew we were the best. And we said we were the best. And so, and, and really any tradition you come out of, generally you think you're the 1A Christians and everybody else is kind of half an idiot. They don't really get it. And whatever your denomination was, and I think that's part of just us being human that we want to have ourselves at the top of the list. Um, so let's go and understand some of these things. Here's, here's one of the verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, talking about um, 
all Christians, I would say, is, is, a, is a good way to understand it, that there is actually no such thing as a Christian that isn't spirit-filled. That all Christians have the Spirit of God within them. That all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. It says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So everybody that, that would follow Jesus, everybody that would name the name of Christ, everybody that, that would, you know, say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. Well, the scripture is telling us that all of the people in the body, they are baptized, they are submerged in the Holy Spirit. They've been made to drink of the Spirit. Whether or not some Christians make, uh, allow certain things to be available to them or involve themselves in certain things is another question. But I think the scripture is clear here in this matter that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. So that includes you today. So let's try to go back and read some of these things. Let's find out what happened on the day of Pentecost. Because as we reference and we say, and people that are, are given a name in the, in, the, in the body of Christ that would either emphasize or overemphasize or be identified with these things would be called Pentecostals. So what is Pentecost? What happened on Pentecost? What does Pentecost mean? Well, the simple answer about Pentecost, Pentecost was a, a harvest. It was 50 days or, or, or seven weeks after the exodus out of Israel or the Passover. And it, it was a, a feast celebrating the law that was given, that Moses was given the law, 50 days after Passover. And so it's another feast. It's also known as the Feast of Harvest, and it just means 50 um, ultimately, that's all that it means, and it's, it's, it's a 50-day reference point. And so on the day of Pentecost, something very famous happened in the church. Jesus is speaking here in Acts chapter 1, and he's referencing about the Holy Spirit coming to the church. And he says this, uh, verse 6 starts, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming on the church, as we see here by Jesus' words, the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming on the church is that they would be witnesses. That they would witness, that they would testify about Jesus in their lives, that they would have a testimony about Jesus. Now, we'll talk more about that at the end when we talk about prophecy. But that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming on the church. We see that we are supposed to be witnesses about what Jesus has accomplished, what his death, burial, and resurrection, that the Holy Spirit empowers each believer for that purpose. But let's go back to Acts. Uh, let's move forward now to Acts chapter 2, and let's see what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, in this chapter, we will see all of these uh, metaphors being used. We will see um, fire, and we will see wind, and we will see rain. In other words, being poured out, or water being poured out. So we will see all of these metaphors being used to help us to understand the Holy Spirit, or what the Holy Spirit would do. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house at where they were sitting, and it divided tongues or languages as of fire. Now, that's just one definition. That's what tongues means. Tongues means languages. 
Well, what's your, someone would say, well, what's your native tongue? What are they, what are they asking you? Well, what is your language? What is the, the main language that you use? So really that word tongue just means languages. And divided tongues or languages as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So why were they there? They were there for the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest. They were all gathered together for this party, this celebration of the law being given 50 days after Passover. So they're all gathering there. So they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So there was a sound, there was an actual sound in the city that day that everybody heard. And they were like, well, what's, what's going on? We're going to go hear what this sound is. And so God was drawing people together. He was drawing them together. This amazing thing was happening. And this only happened one time in the book of Acts, this specific event. They were gathering together. And then it said they started, they were able to hear. So they came from all these different nations. But they were able to hear people speaking in their own language. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, this is, uh, you know, one commentary. This is kind of a little bit of a put down. In other words, aren't these kind of like not the educated people? In other words, since they're not so educated, how do they know all of these languages? How all of a sudden are they so linguistically proficient? All of a sudden, they're just Galileans. They're just not that sharp of people. And they are all amazed, astonished, saying, Are not all these Galileans? Verse 8. How is it then that we hear each one of us in our own native language? So here's some of the countries, the places that they were from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, um, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, from both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our tongues or our languages the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with with new wine. So they're all there, and this amazing thing has happened. Jesus' disciples were in the upper room, and they were praying. Jesus had told them to go uh, wait, that they would be endued with power, that God's power would come on them. And so we see this is actually 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. They had been praying and all of a sudden this, this event happened, this amazing thing that God's spirit was poured out on the church. This is sort of what people would call the birth of the church. And so all of these people from all of these different places, they came together and then they heard everybody saying, it says they, they heard them speaking about the mighty works of God in their language. So here we have God using people who don't know a language, a a specific language of men, to speak that language. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, diversity of tongues, diverse tongues. And so here we see a representation of this from the book of Acts, that they were speaking known languages, known languages of men, that God had filled them, has poured out his spirit on them, and he was using them to speak the gospel so they would hear about the wonderful works of God. They gathered them all together. They heard the sound. And then after this, Peter got up and preached the gospel to them. He preached to them about Jesus. 
this birth of the church, this amazing miracle happened. And we see one of the things that we see specific um, to the birth of the church is God using language, God using people to say things to other people so they could hear about Jesus, they could hear about Jesus dying on the cross, being resurrected, this amazing thing happened. Now this is, once again, as we see, we would say from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is one of the gifts of the Spirit, diverse tongues, or diversity of tongues. Now that would be different as we're going to look at here, as a uh, prayer in other tongues, and what Paul might have to say about that. So let's go uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 1. And let me just ask you this morning... Just something to think about. What is the purpose of language? What is the purpose of language? It, it, one of the purposes, obviously, is to communicate, isn't it? To communicate, to, to talk um, to somebody, to, to say, to try to get some thoughts and feelings that you might have, you know, in your mind or your heart to try to communicate to somebody else. Does anyone ever struggle with communication? Does anyone in their marriage struggle with communication? You don't say amen, you are lying. It's a struggle to communicate sometimes because you say something and what you think you are saying somebody else doesn't hear, correct? And so the purpose of language is, one of the purposes of language is communication. There's another question for you. Here's kind of a deep thought question. You can talk about this at lunch. What is the language in heaven? What's the main language in heaven? Is it English? I mean, if we're, or, or is it is another language? I mean, if we're just going to go by numbers, it's probably Mandarin, right? It's probably Chinese. Uh, uh, one of the dialects from China, I and mean, there's just that many more people speaking. So what, is, what language are they speaking in, in heaven? We don't really have an indication of that. Um, but it talks about there's people from every tribe, every nation. So how are the people in heaven communicating to each other? Is it... Are, are they speaking in the tongue that they learned, the language that they learned, and then the other people um, in heaven from a different country, are they able to understand and speak back in that same language? Or is everybody just speaking their own language? And We don't really know, but it's an interesting thought. But how, is, how does God communicate to us? How is that God is communicating to us? The scripture says that God is spirit. So what language does God speak? I would say, in one sense, God isn't actually using language because he is a spirit. He is, the, the scripture says that we are led by the spirit of God. We are the children of God. That God is leading by thoughts and impressions. So the language is irrelevant. That God can speak to the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl around the world, regardless of their language or their linguistic abilities, because God speaks spirit to spirit. So there's no barrier of communication within that context, would you agree? So whatever is happening in heaven, I, I, I would have a feeling it's not like what happened at the Tower of Babel where they couldn't communicate with each other. I think it would actually be the opposite. I think that communication in heaven is the easiest thing within God's kingdom or within God's presence, that communication that's going on in that realm, in God's realm, would be actually very easy. Wouldn't be a difficult, wouldn't be a difficult thing. So Paul references uh, language here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter about love, but he starts out that chapter saying this, if I speak in the tongues or languages of men and of angels, so what language 
are the angels speaking? Don't actually know. We don't have a specific language. And I think maybe a different way to say this too would be like a heavenly language. That in the spirit realm where God exists, where the angels are, that we could say that that is a heavenly language. The tongues of men and of angels. Now here's once again the emphasis on love. But have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. So here's where I would say, based on just those verses and there are others, that the biggest evidence of a spirit-filled life isn't actually tongues or prayer in other tongues, that it is actually love. That Paul is trying in these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, he's trying to emphasize love. Because here's the thing about the Corinthian church, as I mentioned to you last week, that 1 and 2 Corinthians are written in such a way where they had questions. They were a church that had questions who was to Paul, who was their overseer. Here, Paul, this is going on. What should we do? This is going on. What should we do? This is going on. What should we do? So 1 Corinthians is written in such a way where he's addressing all of these issues. And this group is just kind of an immature group. Some of the things we read, you know, last week that they were pitting, uh, well, here's my favorite preacher. No, here's my favorite preacher. And he's like, you know, you're kind of immature. You kind of got to grow up. And then they had other things going on. You know, family relationships weren't great. They were suing one another in the church. That's not a good thing. They, they would be um, doing the Lord's Supper in such a way, and I, I don't know exactly what this might look like, but they were doing the Lord's Supper in such a way that they would gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And some people would eat and drink so much that they would get drunk from wine. That'd be an interesting day at church, wouldn't it? And, and then other people weren't eating anything. And so he was saying, you know, you're there and you're celebrating the Lord's Supper and a bunch of you are, you know, eating and overeating and there's other people there. You're disregarding people. You're disregarding people. You're suing people. You're disregarding people. You're, you're all of these things that he was trying to emphasize over and over again in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians that he, that they had so many things going on. And this was one of the things. They just had a lot of manifestations happening in their gatherings and and a lot of stuff going on and he was trying to address some of these things he was trying to correct some of these things trying to teach them some of these things so in in the context of our learning about what prayer in other tongues is it is actually in the context of a correction about people you know going too far with it or 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 doing too much with it as we will see here in a little bit and, and I'm sure that you have, you know, seen some of these things or, you know, if you've ever watched TV, some, this happens on church once in a while. I mean, on TV once in a while. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So what is Paul emphasizing here in these verses? Come on now, was he emphasizing? Love. Now, is he saying that these other things aren't true and these other things aren't real? No, but he's saying, hey, we need to emphasize love, that everything we do needs to come from a place of love, needs to be inspired by love, and that's what God poured into us by his spirit. He poured in love. So before I read here 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, I just have a few comments about prayer in other tongues, and I actually got these from my dad. My dad taught this a couple years ago on a Bible study. And he made these comments before he talked um, on this subject. And once again, if you grew up Pentecostal charismatic, you know, this message for you is just like mother's milk. No big deal. I get it. Preach it stronger, Pastor Brandon. And for other of you, it's like, uh, nervous about this whole thing. 
I'm just, I don't know about this subject. And I appreciate that, and I understand that. And, and, and I get that. But there is truth in the scripture about this. There is truth in the same person that uh, wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the incredible theological masterpiece, the book of Romans, also is the same person who taught us about prayer in other tongues and then said that he prayed in tongues probably more than everybody at this church. So let's try to look at the scripture and see what he says. But here is these five comments that my dad made that I loved, so I copied them down. And it's, here's a few that I would, I would say before we get to this subject. If you don't pray in other tongues, you are not a second-class Christian. You are not below everybody else in the body of Christ who does pray in tongues. You're not a second-class Christian. If this is something that you're not ready to pursue, don't worry about it. God's not going to force it on you. Other Christians aren't going to force it on you. Don't worry about it. In the New Testament, you are not commanded to pray in other tongues. Praying in other tongues in a heavenly language is not a badge of spiritual maturity. We see this emphasized over and over again in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, that these people, they had all of these things going on, but Paul kept on telling them, you're so immature, you're like babies, you're like children, it's time to grow up. So it isn't a badge of maturity, just like any gift is not a badge of maturity. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a mature spiritual Christian. Verse uh, number five, not verse five, number five. If you have intellectual problems with this whole idea, that's okay. Discuss it. Ask people. There are answers. You can ask me. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to Dr. Coulter. We have other people uh, in the church. Uh, some of our church leaders, obviously. You can talk to them. If you've got questions, you can ask questions. But this isn't, nobody's forcing anything on you today, all right? Okay? So everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> it's okay. Everything's good. So let's just go to the scripture now and see what Paul says, teaches us about this idea and what it might actually mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 14, sorry, Ron. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love. Once again, he's emphasizing love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. So God wants you to desire this idea that you would actually have utterances, that you would be able to say some things to other people, prophesy to them. We're going to talk about that in a second. It says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. He utters mysteries or he says mysteries in the spirit. He that speaks or prays in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God, speaks not to men, but to God. So when we pray in other tongues, or we might pray in other tongues, who is that directed towards? It's directed towards God. So it is prayer, in other words. That the, what Paul is describing here, he's describing prayer. Now if we go to Matthew chapter 6, and I, and I mentioned this in, in the prayer series, 31 Days of Prayer, that how did Jesus emphasize about prayer? Did he say that you should go out and... and out in the public and be praying all the time. He's like, no, no, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't try to go out so everybody would see you. He would say, go into your closet, close the door, and then pray so that your father, he would see you in private and then would reward you openly. And the same would be true, as Paul is going to continue to emphasize, that this also, this type of praying, 
is best used in a private setting. It is best used in your prayer closet. It isn't necessarily for public consumption because it doesn't matter if actually somebody hears you or not because you're praying and you're speaking to God. For if one man speaks in a tongue, he speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands the utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue or an unknown tongue builds up himself. For the one who prophesies, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So Paul is he's going back and forth. He's, he's emphasizing and showing about prayer in other tongues, this unknown language that people wouldn't know what you're saying. And then he's and then he's comparing and contrasting it as he will continue to do to prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Sorry, verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues or an unknown tongue, how will it benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So there is a question. So Paul is trying to get the church at Corinth to think. He's asking a question. Just in general, if I come to you speaking in a language that you don't understand, what benefit is it to you? What's the benefit? If I speak in a language that you can't understand, is there any benefit to you? Have you ever been in a context where people... Um, you know, that you're having a conversation and you're talking to them and, and they, if, if English is your main language and you're talking to them, all of a sudden they're either friends or brothers and sisters or whatever or they come from another country and they go off in their mother tongue. They go off in their, their main language. And you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? I don't know what, that's not fair. I don't know what you're saying. There's no benefit to me. If I don't understand what you're saying. And that's what Paul is emphasizing. Now verse 7. Now he continues to give these illustrations to this group. Now partially what Paul is doing as we read through these verses. That he's trying to limit their use of public tongues. He's not, to, he's, he's not saying don't do it or you shouldn't do it. He's trying to understand the context of which you should do it. And where it's appropriate. Verse 7, even if an, even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives a distinct sound, how will you get ready for battle? Distinct, intelligible, can you understand? Do you understand? He's giving analogies now. He's giving us metaphors to understand what is appropriate in public. What should we say? How should we act? What is that we're supposed to be talking about in public so people can understand? Verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? So what's the answer? They won't know what you're saying. For you will be speaking into the air. If there are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if you know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So what is the thing that builds up the church? What Paul has already mentioned, it is prophecy. It is speaking out something that everybody can understand. 
Verse 13, now, therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue or an unknown tongue should pray that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So here he's telling us something else about this idea of prayer in other tongues, that you would pray something, you would pray in a language, and you wouldn't actually understand what you're saying. Someone said, is, that, is, is there any benefit to that? Is that is that a meaningful thing? Do I have to do that? Like I already said, no, you don't have to do that. God is not going to force something on you. God's not going to make you do something. But he's trying to get us to understand what is happening. And then Paul is also saying, for if I pray. And so in other words, he's saying to the Corinthian church, it is something that he is actually choosing to do. It's not some... Um, surreal emotional experiment or experience where all of a sudden the holy spirit comes on you and then your tongue is like wagging ferociously in your mouth and you can't control it no he's saying i will i'm going to choose i'm going to make this choice i'm going to choose to pray this way verse 14 but if i pray in a tongue or an unknown tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful in other words i don't understand what am i to do i will pray in other words once again a choice i will pray with my spirit i will pray with my mind also i will sing praise with my spirit i will sing with my mind also otherwise if you give thanks with your spirit how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying so All through this chapter, all through these three chapters, the emphasis Paul is making and he's trying to make to the church is that it's very important in the context of relationship, what you're doing and what you're saying. What you're doing and what you're saying based on who's there beside you, who is listening. You say, if you're going to do this, um, you're going to give thanks with your spirit, but how can anyone in the position of an outsider... So Paul is thinking about people who might be in the context of the church who would be hearing this, somebody praying in an unknown language, thinking, how can that person then say amen or I understand what you're saying? Paul's concern here in this chapter is for people about, hey, can they understand, can they not understand? And if they can't understand, you shouldn't be saying it in front of them. Verse 17, this is what he says. For you may be giving thanks well enough, talking about prayer in other tongues, but the other person is not being built up. Why? Because they don't understand. They can't understand what you're saying. Now listen to what Paul says. I thank God that I speak tongues more than all of you. Verse 19, nevertheless, in the church, are you with me today? I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue or an unknown tongue. So Paul is telling them, he's saying, hey, listen, I just wanted to tell you, Corinthian church, I know you've got all these experiences, you know, I know you've got all these things going on, all these manifestations. I pray in unknown tongues more than any of you. But I want you to tell you in the church, I'd rather say five words that can help somebody else then praying in an unknown tongue that doesn't help anybody else. Paul's concern is for building up the church. It should be our concern. It should be our concern. It should be our thought process. Hey, how am I going to build up somebody else? How am I going to strengthen somebody else? Not how can I express my gift? I just need to express it. I just need to express it. Pastor Rantz. I'm just so full of the Spirit that I just need to express it. And you're holding me back. 
No, Paul is saying, and I, and I would say, he's, he prays, hey, listen, Paul has got you. He prays in tongues more than you. But he's selling you in the church, I'd rather say five words that people can understand, than 10,000 words that they can't understand. Why? Because it's not valuable to them. And as we already read, it's actually not directed towards them. You don't need to pray in other tongues so that other people can hear you. Now, I know some people do this on purpose because they're trying to prove that they're spirit-filled and they're trying to prove that they believe in tongues and they're trying to prove to the other Christians that believe in tongues, hey, we, we believe in tongues too, but that's not the motive that Paul is going for here. He's not, there's nowhere in here where he's trying, hey, you just need to prove this. You just need to prove that you're spirit-filled and this is how you're going to do it. It's a whole thoughtful conversation about Who's there? When is it appropriate? How you should do it? And partly it's corrective in the middle of him teaching us about this. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in, in a tongue or an unknown tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Verse 21, in the law it is written by people of strange tongues, by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to his people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Listen, verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues or an unknown tongue and the outsiders or unbelievers enter... Will they not say to you that you are out of your minds? Now, how about Paul in this whole chapter? He's saying you should do it, but you should seek to build up the church. And I just want to let you know that I pray in tongues more than any of you. But he says the same guy that says that he does it and he allows God to use him in this way, he also acknowledges this idea that if you're in the public gathering and people who are coming in from the outside, in other words, unbelievers, people who don't go to church, people who aren't followers of Jesus, and they come in and they all hear you speaking in an unknown language, what does he say? They're going to say you're crazy. Now, is Paul schizophrenic about this idea? Because he says he does it more than anybody, but then he also acknowledges, hey, that if you're, you're, you're up there and you're talking... And nobody can understand what you're saying. People like, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. Paul is thinking about people who might come into the church who are far from God, who don't know Jesus. Paul is not concerned, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit's not going to be allowed to move if I don't pray in tongues. This is not Paul's concern. In 1 Corinthians 14, this is not his concern. Trust me, I've read it. Hundreds of times. His concern is for outsiders. Can somebody be built up? Can somebody hear? Can somebody understand? It's an amazing chapter in the scripture. But someone's... Okay, if we go, if we go back, someone say, Well, wait a minute, I'm a little bit confused. Because Paul is saying, um, you, They're going to come in, and they're going to say, You're out of your minds. But verse 22 says, Thus sung, tongues are a sign... Not for believers, but un for, for unbelievers. I, I'm confused about that. So Paul is telling us, don't do it uh, in the public setting because everybody's going to think you're mad. And then he's telling us, okay, but then tongues or an unknown tongue is somehow a sign to unbelievers. 
Now, as I, as I said, I've been on a journey with this whole idea. And, I, and I've read this and I read this and read this. And I got always so confused when I got to this verse. Because the whole discourse, Paul is saying, hey, don't do it in public. You shouldn't pray when people, uh, you shouldn't pray in other tongues with people who don't know and they're outsiders. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, wait a minute. Uh, tongues is a sign for unbelievers. And I'm like, I just don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. And I know Paul is really small, uh, smart, and I know the Holy Spirit is inspiring us, but I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit in the context of this whole chapter. So I I'd search and I read and I search and I read and I try to figure out because it never made sense. And I, you know, I came up with other ideas and it just didn't. And then finally, one day, the simplicity of it is that in the verse before, Paul quotes something from the Old Testament. Verse 21 says, In the law it is written, By the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So that is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28. If you go back and read the whole context of Isaiah chapter 28, it is a time uh, where the children of Israel were rebellious and they weren't following God. And you can read the whole thing. And the, the idea of what was happening whenever the children of Israel got in disobedience and they f- fell away from God, that usually they would become captive to another country. And they would, be, uh, they would be invading armies. And the invading army would always be speaking from a language from another country. So they would be coming in and they, as they would be being taken away captivity or the invading army is coming in, they would be hearing this army speaking in another language. And so in Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28, the reference of the word sign is a sign of judgment. It's not a positive sign. Now, if you, once again, if you've grown up in Pentecostal charismatic circles, you just say the word signs and wonders, and you think, oh, there's signs and wonders. People are going to believe because they see signs and wonders. But here this word sign is not used as a positive sign. It's actually used in reference to Isaiah 28 as a negative thing, that they'll actually be confused. When, when you're being taken captive to another country and the, the guards are speaking in another language, you're like, I don't know what they're saying and this is not good. We're, we're being taken captive and it was a sign of judgment. It wasn't a positive experience. So Paul didn't take a, a left turn or a right turn in the middle of He's actually describing something that it isn't a positive experience for somebody to come in who's an outsider. And then all of a sudden, everybody is speaking in a language like, well, what did that guy say? I don't know what he said. That doesn't seem like a language. And so Paul, that's what Paul's reference is. Because, hey, if they come in and they all hear you speaking in another language, will they not say you are out of your minds? Verse 24, but if all prophesy and unbelievers or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When? When they can understand what is being said. When they can understand what is being said. So this is what Paul is telling us to do, that we would speak things so that it would be intelligible, that it could be understood. But he, once again, he emphasizes this idea of prayer in other tongues. So what exactly is it? And we go back to to verse 2. This is what he says. This is the totality, once again, of the, the positivity, part of the positivity of what he says about this. For one who speaks 
in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, so it's prayer. For no one understands it, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And then he says, the one who speaks in a tongue or an unknown tongue builds up himself. So we have these two things. You're going to speak mysteries and you're going to build yourself up. When we did 31 days of prayer, I'm sure that you found at some point... You know, we're, we're, we have these topics and we were praying them out and we had the scriptures there and then you look at the scriptures and then so you pray those scriptures out and then sometimes, I don't know about you, and I know from other people, you kind of hit the limit on what you can pray, but you feel like, you know what, I think there's actually more I need to pray here, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. I'm not actually sure how I could pray for this situation. How is it that I can pray intelligently for a situation in another country? There's all of these details that I don't have and all of these, this information that I don't have. So the scripture is telling us here, when you pray, when you're speaking to God in an unknown tongue, not known to man, and you don't even know what you're saying, that you would be speaking mysteries, that you would be uttering mysteries. And this would be the idea of prayer in other tongues, that all prayer, we know beneficial prayer, is based on God's word. So the idea is that the Holy Spirit is giving you utterance, that the Holy Spirit is giving you the words to say beyond your own intellectual limitations about how to pray for a situation. And then you would be praying. It would, be sound, it would sound like a language that you don't know. Is it important to do it in public? No, Paul says. That, that prayer time obviously would be those times that we would spend private. We pray these things out that we would ask God to help us. God, I know there's something else that needs to be. I don't know what it is, but I ask that you would help me to pray this out. And then he said that you would edify yourself. You would build yourself up. And once again, that just makes to me sense that if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you in such a way to use you, that I would actually strengthen you. It would build you up. Praying out the mysteries, building yourself up. Praying out the mysteries, building yourself up. That's what we see the purpose of it. That, that we're, we're not stuck just with our own limitations. That we can go beyond our own linguistic limitations in prayer by prayer in other tongues. And see, there is no then barriers. There is no barriers in the sense that I'm just trusting God to help me. God, help me to pray for the situation. I, I think there's something else that needs to be prayed out here. Lord, help me to do it. And all prayer, whether it's in your known language or it's in other tongues, should be in the Spirit. It should be inspired by the Spirit of God, allowing God to use our tongue, to use language to speak out and to pray out His Word. And, and as I said, if you're, if you're like, I'm not sure about this, I still have more questions. Hey, we're available for questions and we're happy to have these conversations with you. But nobody's going to force you uh, to pray in other tongues and we're not going to make you do anything. Okay? And everybody said, Amen. All right, let's go on and let's finish here. And we're just going to talk about prophecy for a few seconds. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he said this, Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, verse 3, for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So God wants you to prophesy. What do you think about that? God wants to use you to prophesy. Now, does that mean God wants to use you to predict the future of all of your friends, relatives, and neighbors? 
Is that what uh, prophecy means? And, and, and I see the simple gift of prophecy that we would see here in verse 3 says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, to build someone up, to encourage them, and for their consolation and comfort. Doesn't, doesn't mean that you have, that you, and you shouldn't be trying to predict somebody's future. It is those three words. The simple gift of prophecy is building up, encouraging, and comforting. The prophecy means speaking, proclaiming, or announcing something, something under the influence of dis- divine inspiration. That we would be divinely inspired to say something to somebody that could actually encourage them. And God is saying he wants everybody. He wants everybody in the church to be involved in this. To be uh, prop- Now, does that mean you're all prophets? No, that's not what it means. Just because you would prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. Doesn't mean that those two things don't go together in the scriptures. You don't, just because you're prophesying doesn't make you a prophet. But it is this simple idea, this, this encouraging that I'm going to build somebody else up. And once again, these things will happen. These, man, these things will manifest and take place once you set yourself in the place of love, in this place of compassion. You know, I, I've sat with my wife a lot of times, you know, as we're maybe counseling somebody or talking to somebody. And, you know, I, I'm with my wife every day. I get to spend my life with her. Praise the Lord. Making up for last week. Um, <laughs> and I know how she speaks. And I know how she speaks when, she, when she's enjoying what I'm doing. And I know how she speaks when she doesn't enjoy what I'm doing. And sometimes we'll get in these counseling situations and something will come up and, you know, somebody will be talking and be saying something um, about their situation. And all of a sudden, my wife will just be like saying some amazing words and it goes right to the heart of somebody and they'll start crying. And that's not the, the key of all things. They'll start crying or there's really that her words will really go right down into their heart and they'll be like, oh, that's really what I needed to hear. What is that? That's prophecy. And once again, my wife's eyes didn't roll back in her head. And she'd be like, wait, I'm getting something. I'm getting something. I'm sensing something in the room. That's just... It's just extra. That's just learned behavior. You don't have to do any of that. Someone doesn't even have to know that you're prophesying. They probably shouldn't know. And, you know, you shouldn't be trying to make, once again, you shouldn't be trying to make a big deal about yourself. Prophesying is for the other person to, to build them up, to strengthen them, to encourage them. And after you do it, you're like, wait a minute, I was used in prophecy, people. Pro- I need to tweet this. It's not... What it's about. No gifts are about that. Gifts are about blessing other people. Not making a big deal about you. Helping other people. God wants you to prophesy. Not so you can say you're a big shot. And not so you can say, oh, I was used in this gift. You could actually build somebody up. So how are we going to do this, Pastor Brian? How, how, how am I going to prophesy? Do I need to be like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to pick up something in the air, in the room. 
That's not what you should try to be doing. You should be trying to love people. You should be trying to have compassion on people. And when you love people and you have compassion on people, you will prophesy. You will build somebody up. You will strengthen somebody. You will comfort somebody. You will encourage somebody. Because that's what God wants to do. God wants to use your tongue. God wants to use your language to be a blessing to somebody else. Revelation 19, we're almost done. Revelation 19, verse 10 says this. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. For your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Pointing somebody to Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Not pointing somebody to you. Not after you prophesy. You should be like, man, I think the anointing went up 50% on that one. about Jesus it's about pointing someone to Jesus who's the savior who's the redeemer who's the one that those people should be putting their trust in having their faith in that we can be this vessel that we can be an available vessel that God would use our language that God would use our mouth that God would use our tongue God fill us up So that we can speak the words to you that we would need to speak. That we would need to pray out the mysteries. So that we can be edified. Lord, fill us up. So that we can speak the words that you would have for us to speak to other people. So that we can help them be built up. And strengthened. And edified. And comforted. And help, Lord, fill us up. So that we could be vessels to be used by you, not to make a big deal about ourselves, to make a big deal about Jesus. That the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the one by his grace gives us this wonderful place with God so that we can find freedom, that we can find forgiveness, that we can find love and we can find healing and we can find what we need when we need it. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That we would be explaining to other people how much God loves them and how much he cares for them and how much he wants to help them out of their situations and their difficulties that he saves today. That the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And like Paul, I want all of you to prophesy. What does this mean, Bezra? I'm going to interrupt the church service? No, don't. I won't let you. That's not what I'm talking about. That in the context of love, in the context of relationship, God wants to use your 
tongue. He wants to use your words. He wants to use you. And this is what the gifts are all about. Last verse. We read this last week. As each has received a gift, which is true of all of you, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, which should be all of you, as one who speaks as the oracles of God, whoever serves, <coughs> serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him being glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus and all of our beliefs in the gifts and all of our beliefs in the manifestations, what should we be thinking about that God would be glorified? That we would point people to Jesus? We wouldn't be trying to say how gifted we are and how good we can do it and can't you listen to me pray? And I'm going to be uh, charismatic enough for this person to think that I'm really a charismatic. And I'm going to be Pentecostal enough for this group to think that I'm really Pentecostal. I don't care <laughs> what they think, whoever they are. I, just got, I want God to, to use me. I just want to, however I can be a vessel, God, to be a blessing to people. So that Jesus can be lifted up. So that we would raise up Jesus. Jesus said, if you, if you would, and I'd be lifted up, I would draw all men to me. That we would be lifting up Jesus. And this is who we lift up today. Jesus is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one that gives us utterance to speak in prayer. Or gives us to speak to other people that we would lift him up. And we would magnify him, serve him. Let's just pray today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today, that your word teaches us. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.